The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, uh, you should have a permanent mark uh, in your Bible to the book of Hebrews uh, by now. If you're visiting, you will soon get that as your visitor gift or something like that. But we are in Hebrews chapter 11, and we are looking through the book of Hebrews. We started this the first Sunday of 2022, and pretty much every week, save a few here and there for holidays and life and times, we have been in the book. Our, our, um, in military terms, because Nelson loves these little acronyms, the ETA, the estimated time of arrival for finishing out the book is mid-April. Hang on, we're getting there. Uh, we have just a couple more sermons in chapter 11, a few in chapter 12, and more so in chapter 13, as we said last week. One verse out of these uh, chapter 13 verses can be a sermon, and some of them will be that way. But if you're able to stand this morning, would you join me in standing God's Word? We'll start in verse 23. Today's sermon is entitled, Greater Than. That's been our, our sermon series title since the beginning. Today, Greater Than uh, uh, Passing Pleasures. That's a tongue twister, Passing Pleasures pleasures. We'll start in verse 23, focusing in, again, the context here, the writer of Hebrews is telling them to come all the way to Christ. He's, he's reaching out evangelistically to some in their midst that have not yet turned their hearts to Christ, not repented of their sins. And he's reminding them that even the forebearers have done this. And so today he's talking about Moses. And we'll go to verse 30. And here it says, this is God's word this morning. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, or nice, as it says in Exodus 2.2, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, speaking of Moses, greater than wealth of the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to a reward. So by faith, verse 27, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover sprinkled with blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. That is the calling card, is it not, of Hebrews 11. That is the phrase, by faith. Christian, let me remind you today, you were saved not of yourselves. It is a work of God by faith. Will you join me in praying this morning? I do pray this is encouraging to you. We are going to look at Moses' faith, but I want to remind you before we pray, we're not here to venerate Moses. Golly, no. We're here to see how God worked through a faithful man that we too may be used by God in a similar way for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear the Word of God. As we shared with our kids this morning, just even holding the Word of God is just uh, uh, such a, a testament. So many people have never even held the Bible, heard the Bible, understood the Bible, yet what a privilege it is. Father, we probably know, as many have said, more spiritual truth than we live out. But Father, even today, would you remind us of things we've heard before? Would you teach us new things? Would you challenge us in old things? Whatever it is. Father, we're mostly praying that we would see in our own hearts a greater faith 
not to be anything of popularity or fame or we're better than anyone else, but just to be more faithful and more intentional with our lives here on this earth as they pass so quickly. It is but a breath and a vapor. We thank you, Lord. Give us wisdom now, we pray. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. May be seated. Well, this is not what Moses really looked like, but for many of you, this is what Moses really looked like. If you do not know, this is Charleston Heston, uh, Planet of the Apes, fame, and before that, the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, which is seen, uh, used to be on TV, I think, once a year around this time of year, holidays. But this is not Moses. But Moses probably looks something like this in all his Hollywood glory. Moses is described in the Old Testament as the greatest prophet. Deuteronomy 31 says, No prophet has arisen like Moses from whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses is called the greatest lawgiver. John 1.17, the law was given through Moses. Moses is called the greatest historian. Luke 16.31 specifically says that it was Moses and the prophets. Moses is called perhaps the greatest saint. You'll see this on the screen, Numbers 12.3, which says he was very humble. He was more humble than any person on the earth. Moses was the greatest deliverer. We see that when he was led and given the words to say to lead a people out of Egypt by plagues and by, by all the acts and signs of God. He was the greatest miracle worker. God did things through Moses that no one has ever seen since then. Moses was the greatest man, according to the scriptures, it could be argued, in the Old Testament himself. But what made Moses so great? Was it his gifts? What is it, his, uh, his personality test? Was it his education, his leadership? What was it? All of those play a part for sure, as God has raised you up and brought you experiences in your life. But the greatest thing that separated Moses was that he was used by God because he had a great faith in a great God, and God blessed him and used that. By faith, Moses stood before Pharaoh. By faith, God worked through Moses and broke the slavery of the Israelites from the Egyptians. And by faith, he led several million Hebrews out into the wilderness. Can you imagine leading 10 of them out, let alone a millions of them over and over? Vance Havner, the great preacher, said it this way about Moses. He said, Moses chose the imperishable. He saw the invisible. He did the impossible all by faith. And yet, by temperament, by his own self, he was hesitating and halting. But by faith, he was a compelling man. And so this morning, what difference does this man's faith make in his life? And what difference can the faith Moses had, as we see today, make in your life? And that's what I want you to know. At the end of the day, by faith, Moses ultimately treasured the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw that in verse 26 we just read. But he also embraced the suffering that would come with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is our big idea today. And the big idea is just a summary of the sermon based on where everything we are is, is this. And it's on your bulletin as well. Is that we can't treasure Jesus and savor his power without treasuring Jesus' cross and savoring his suffering. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. If, you, if you're looking for someone to listen to with a cool accent, a Scottish one, he's your man. He said this. He said, you can't quote, you can't embrace a suffering Savior without some of his blood staining your own garments. And friends, that is exactly what Moses had to do. By faith, he understood the mission that was before him. And the same is true for your life. No matter how gifted you are, no matter how much ability you have, or no giftedness or ability you think you have, by faith, if you live for God, you will embrace who he is, but you will suffer with him all the same. It's not your great abilities, it is your great availability that God uses. It's not your talent, but your trust. 
It's not your giftedness, but it is your dependence upon the Lord that makes you who you are. And I want to remind you that Moses was not some island out by himself doing his own thing. Moses was leading the people of God. There are a lot of talented Christians that are walking around. And a lot of them are over here when they should be in the midst of God's people over there. And so this morning, I want to look at a growing faith and a great faith, all from Moses. I want to start that right off the bat here, is a growing faith. How did Moses savor the suffering of Christ, and how did he treasure the gospel of Christ? It first started with a growing faith that is, and we'll fill the blanks as we go, a growing faith that is first off rooted, rooted. That is number one there, rooted. You notice in verse 23 that it says that he was born in a God-fearing home. It says, by faith, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that his child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I want you to notice, first off, what this says. His parents, the when. There's a when here, W-H-E-N, a when, when he was born. This was probably, arguably, the most difficult time in all of human history. The people of God were living in bondage. They were, they were separated from their homeland, the promised land. They were forced into hard labor, serving pagans. They were serving gods they did not know. And some of them, by, 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 by pleasing their masters, also included their religion. But Pharaoh had issued also a, a command, and you know that command, don't you? If there was a baby boy born under the age of two, they were especially to be drowned. It's just ter- terrible, isn't it? But friends, what is old then and, and new then is nothing new today. We just call it abortion today and call it okay. That is the same way of trying to rid kids of society. But parents, I want to remind you of something, and I had to remind myself of this sometimes, is that God can raise godly children in the most ungodly of times. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, he never has to get the circumstances right to work within your family. Now, there are some examples of this. Uh, Gerald and Jean Calvin, well, that kind of gave it away, didn't it? There was a man in 16th century France named John Calvin who became one of the greatest theologians in all of history. There were the, the Puritans, the English Puritans under Bloody Mary in Scotland who went around looking for a place to worship that ended up on our shores known as the Pilgrims. There were the Huguenots. There were all these sorts of people during the Reformation times that were being choked and bottlenecked with their faith, but in the midst of that raised up generation after generation of godly people. And Moses' parents were no exception. Moses had a growing faith, first off, because his parents were rooted when it is in the darkest hours of church history that produced the mightiest preachers, theologians, and faithful church members. It's when the church is okay without battling things, and we get complacent that we start fighting inward and inward and inward and devour and bite each other like Paul talks about. That's the win of the rooted. Notice what also his parents did, what his parents did. He hid them, secondly, for three months. The what? He hid them, or they hid them for three months. Now, that may seem interesting because why, you know, if you've ever had a baby before, is it hard to keep a baby quiet when a baby's really crying? Yes, it is. That goes without saying. So we assume here that at this point they were at a stage where the baby could no longer be hidden and be quiet. But rather than cave in, they were willing to disobey the command of the world to obey raising their God, uh, their child in a God-fearing way. So they made a, a little basket, a waterproof basket. They hid their baby, and the baby went off. Moses' parents' names. If we did a Bible trivia quiz, would you get these names right? 
Amrod and Jochebed. Exodus 6.20. Names that are given in a list of, of, of the Exodus and then the family lineage of Moses. But God saw the faith of those parents. And you notice there that they saw, it's, they saw that he was beautiful. We'll get to that in a second. But you notice in verse 23, but they saw something in him. What did they see in him? They had a supernatural faith to know that this baby was different than every other baby. Did God reveal to them? Maybe. We don't know. But I want you to know this. It's on the screen. God honors the faith of parents who refuse to cave in to the pressures of the world's ways to raise their kids not in according to God's will. And isn't that harder today than ever before? If you are trying to raise a kid and some of you grandkids up in the ways of the Lord, the hardest thing is, is to keep doing that. But I want to encourage you, God honors that faith and God will bless that faith. That is the what of what they did. The when was for, for three months. The what is they, the, the faith that was honored. But why did they do it? Number three, the rooted. Why did they do it? They did it, it says at the end of verse 23, because they saw that he was a beautiful child. Now, every parent and grandparent is going to say that their child is beautiful, right? If you're on Facebook or social media, some people put little apologies up there that say, sorry, photo dump coming. We're going to give like 500 pictures. Oh, the baby turned over. The baby's, you know, everybody loves their baby and their grandkids, rightfully so. Amen? It's not because they had a better Facebook profile picture of their grandkid that they thought he was beautiful. It doesn't, it's not mushy stuff. Acts 7.20 says that when Stephen gave an account of this, uh, in his sermon, it said, he said it was at this time Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God. They saw something with their spiritual eyes being rooted in faith that didn't make any other sense. But it was a reminder to them that God was going to use this baby. Again, did, did God give them some revelation about Moses? We don't know. But the point is, is that how we feel about our kids and grandkids? Church member, when there's a lot of jibber-jabbering going on in the sermon and you can't hear because there's babies talking, is that how you feel about that other person's kids? Come on, let's be real. True story. But these parents were rooted. They saw that their child was beautiful. And I want you to know I'm grateful for a church that embraces kids of all whatevers that we come in here. We've had bad days as parents. You've had bad days as parents. We've walked out of here crying. You've walked out of here crying. But by God's grace, we love our kids. But Spurgeon reminds us greatly, and I think it's so true. We should train up a child in the way that he or she should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. These parents didn't just put their child out by faith. They put them out in the same faith that they had themselves. So if you're not a parent or grandparent of someone in this church, would you pray for those parents and grandparents with kids in this church? Would you pray for Refine KC, the school that helped partners with us as well? A growing faith is rooted. Secondly, a growing faith is also resistant. Resistant. Look at verses 24 and 25. A strong faith basically says no to the world. If you could say verse 23 was about the parents' faith, verse 24 and following is now about Moses' faith. Look back at verse 24 at first. He says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the passing or fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. Kids, can I have your ear for a minute, my three included? Kids, if you have godly parents who bring you to church, one thing you ought to do is praise God for them. Okay? So kids, when you get home, we expect cards, cookies, and all sorts of goodies to be given to parents who are raising up. No. But in all seriousness, 
And kids, I want to remind you as well, it's not, not just enough for your mom or dad to bring you to church. You have to make a decision for Jesus yourself someday. And everyone in here would be praying for you for that, and we are. But you notice here that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You remember Pharaoh's daughter found Moses after he had been left um, by his parents through the, the Nile River. She was bathing, picked him up, and eventually she took him in, took Moses in. And by God's grace, his older sister talked to Pharaoh's daughter. And eventually, uh, Moses' mom became his caretaker until he was old enough to be weaned off of her. You know that story. But the question was, was Moses going to follow the world or God? How would he do this? He decided to follow God. He was resistant to the world. He was not a compromising Christian. He was not going to settle for anything less. So what did he do? He chose to be mistreated with the people of God. And Christian, every Sunday when you come here, one of the greatest witnesses you have is coming to church on a Sunday morning. He had no royalty. He had no fame. He, had no, he didn't want any of that. He didn't want to sin. He didn't want, verse 25, those passing pleasures. He wanted the greater reward, which we'll get to, because he knew life was short. And up on the screen, I put a phrase in there, and I don't know if this is original to me. It's been in my head for a while, but too many want to discount Jesus. They want all the benefit and all the value at a minimal cost. But our Savior reminds us to count the cost to take up our cross and follow him. And for Moses, he made that choice. He made the choice to be resistant to the world and say, no, I'm not going to follow you. For Moses, he couldn't have it both ways. There's a story, and this will be, this, there's a book that you'll see on the next slide here that comes up called The Doctor Who Became a Preacher. It's about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most famous preachers of the, the 20th century you probably never read or heard of, but he was famous. He was a doctor, truly. He was a medical doctor. In fact, during World War II, he was a medical doctor to Winston Churchill and the royal family, amongst other people. And one night, while Dr. Churchill was out in the town in the fancy, ritzy part of London in the post-war era before the 50s, late 40s, early 50s, he heard a Salvation Army preacher on the back of a truck calling people to repentance, a street preacher. And all the guys around him and all the wives of these doctors were just said, oh, what a crook, what a fake, what a phony. Go home. And they were jeering this preacher. And deep within Lloyd-Jones' soul, he said to himself, but those are my people. And the rest is history. At that night, sensing the call of God on his life, he turned his back on physical doctor medicine and surrendered himself to the ministry of God's word. He became a doctor, if you will, of the Word of God, and it's filled the pulpit for over 40 years, dying in the uh, Willie, I'm thinking, 80s, the late 80s, if I'm not mistaken. Friends, we must all make that choice. Are we in the world and want to be of the world and applauded by the world, or are we going to be resistant to what the world says and following what God has for us? A growing faith is rooted, and like Moses, to be refused to call the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What will you do with your life? A growing faith is not only rooted and resilient, uh, excuse me, rooted and resistant, it is also thirdly resilient, resilient. Look at verse 26, the first part here. First part says that Moses not only chose to walk the different way of his family, his, his adopted family, but it says in verse 26 that he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt. The reproach of Christ. Well, how did he know about Jesus? He, Jesus wasn't around yet. How did he know? By faith. How did he know what Jesus is going to do? By faith. Looking ahead through the eyes of faith, Moses saw that the greatest thing he could do is be on the side of God's people. 
and he was resilient. That word means that he, he was really willing to do whatever it took to stand his ground no matter what the cost. He not only resisted the world, he stood against the world. And a great faith will always come at a great price. If you want to be used, if our church wants to be used in this world, in this neighborhood, and around the world, we have to count the cost. And we have to press on in Jesus' name anyway, no matter what that is. For some of you, that could mean the reproach of a coworker who thinks you're crazy for talking about God at work. For some of you, you just went through the hardest season of your year, being around people who are your family, who make the name of Christ just another word in their vocabulary, not for nice things. For some of you, it could be a direct attack on your faith because you have specifically shared the gospel and people are calling you out for it. Whatever it is, all true faith involves suffering. The prophets are missionaries, Christians, moms, dads, grandmas, people behind the scenes, people in front of the scenes. This is what it is. There is a cost factor for becoming a Christian. And if that cost factor is not one you want to embrace, then the Bible will question whether you, can, you know the Christ that you claim to embrace. Moses knew that he'd be stuck out of the palace and be a marked man, but he was resilient. He said, I will suffer with them because I know the greater reward is coming. And that is number four. A growing faith is rooted. It is resistant to the world. It is resilient. There's always a great price to pray, pay. But finally, a growing faith you see in Moses, his first main point, is reliant. It is reliant. And you know what that is, don't you? Just like a baby is reliant on its mama to take care of him or her, so too was Moses. And you notice that. Look back at verse 26. What was he eyeing? What was his eye on? That old, uh, you know, that Rocky movie, the eye of the tiger. Doo, doo, doo. You, know, you got the Rocky running up Philadelphia stairs. That's not quite the same scene. But his eye was on a greater thing. His eye, it says, for he was looking to the reward. Is that what you're looking for in this life, Christian? Is your life on this world, are we so busy that we forget what we're really here to do? I mean, he was looking to the reward. He had a matter of focus and perspective. No matter what he suffered, no matter what he gave up, no matter what inheritance he threw to the wind, his focus was on a reward that no one could touch. Or as Jesus would say, where moth and rust cannot destroy. Notice it's not a reward. It's not just a little dangly thing they hand out for participation trophies if you just go through a season. It's the reward. What is he talking about? He's not talking about salvation. He was saved by faith. This is not salvation. The reward is that approval that will make the tough choices in life and break from the crowd and be willing to suffer and stand for Jesus no matter what the cost. And Christian, I want to remind you that you have that same appointment someday. Romans 14, 12 tells us that so then every one of us will give an account before God. It reminds me of a story about Spurgeon, the great teacher and preacher of the faith. And Spurgeon was the man who uh, at one time was a part of a thing called the Baptist Union. And in Spurgeon's day, he was one of the few preachers in England at the time that was preaching the Word of God. And they had a vote as to whether to keep, put, uh, keep Spurgeon in this Baptist Union or kick him out. 1,000 votes kick him out. Three votes, keep him in. And he weighed that cost. His wife, Susanna, who was uh, uh, homebound at that point, who was unable to come, was a sewer and a stitcher. Was our, uh, Peggy was the busy hands of the day. She did all the quilting and things. 
So in her way to only reach her husband, because she knew that when he went to bed at night, he'd always stare up at the ceiling. She put on there these great verses of Matthew 5 and stitched this. So right above when he got kicked out that night, the scripture that she sewed for him on the ceiling was, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for they are per- persecuted the prophets who were before you and they will also persecute me. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. His wife knew that Spurgeon was doing the right thing. He was reliant not on his abilities, not on his, his, his pulpit. He was reliant on the Lord in the midst of great opposition. And that encouraged him till the day went on. Friend, this has long been said well. But when you die, Jesus won't say, well done, good and famous servant. He will say, well done, good and what? Faithful servant. Moses didn't have a lot of giftings. He was raised in all the uh, literature and philosophy and leadership of the Egyptians. But at the end of the day, what made his faith great is the same that makes our faith great. It grows in reliance daily upon the word and the trust and the character of God himself. And church, that's a word for us too. The way we reach people in this community is not based on any bait and switch. It is based upon, first and foremost, the word of God. Because what you win them to is what you got to keep them to. And if we win to people with false ways, we have to keep them to false ways. May they know the truth of the gospel. That is a growing faith, a faith that is growing. And so as you live your life, this first major point, is your faith growing? But I want you to see, secondly, a faith that is great. He was growing in his faith, but what really made Moses' faith great? That is the second main point I want you to see. A great faith that is, and we'll fill those blanks as well. A growing faith was rooted, resistant, resilient, and reliant. But I want you to see, a first off, a great faith is courageous. A great faith is courageous. Look at verse 27. So after all these things, what did Moses do? Moses, in verse 27, it says, By faith he left Egypt. Can you imagine leaving everything you know? Can you imagine leaving everything you have grown up in and choosing to go the opposite way? Now, what leaving is he doing here? He left twice. You may remember this, don't you? The first time Moses left, it was after he killed a man. (laughs) Please do not take that as an example of what to do when you leave a place, right? Don't do that. That's descriptive, not prescriptive. He was a defeated man, and at age 40-ish, he left and went to the wilderness. He meets Jethro, his father-in-law. He gets married, has kids, has his burning bush experience. God sends him back. They go through all the plagues, and now around age 80, as they plunder Egypt, as they go out into the wilderness, he's leaving again. But as he left, he left courageously. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, look at verse 27. He left Egypt how? Not being afraid of the anger of the king. He didn't care what people said. He didn't care what people did to him because his king was better than that king. His king was able to destroy anyone who came upon his path because the God of all the universe was behind him, not some dude that called himself Pharaoh. So he left that way, and he left courageously, not fearing the king. But friends, this is something I want to talk about for a moment. We often, as we live our faith for Jesus Christ, even as churches today, we fear what people will say about us, don't we? We fear men more than we fear God. 
But unless we are overcome more by the fear of, uh, and love of God, we will, not, we will rather be overcome by the fear of men. The Bible warns us many times, Proverbs 29, the fear of man brings a snare. We fear if we stand for Christ, we will lose our jobs, our friends, our family, our acceptance, our, our inheritance even. But what that fear is, is not from God, but from the devil himself. For some of you, you, are, you know what you need to do in your life. You know what God has called you to live out before others. But you're fearful because of what someone else may think. Can I remind you that Abraham was afraid and told a lie about Sarah? Can I remind you that Isaac followed in his daddy's ways and also told lies about Rebekah? Can I remind you because of the fear of man, Jacob was afraid and fled from Laban, his uncle? Or Aaron was afraid and caved to the desires of the people. And now Moses, you know, this golden calf over here just kind of came out. It just kind of popped out, you know. It just kind of came around here. No, Aaron, you feared men instead of God. Israel was afraid to enter the promised land because there were big people. I always think of, uh, I'm, if you are visiting with us, I have way too many sports references. I apologize. But in my mind, if you remember Andre the Giant, if you remember that guy from years gone by, uh, Princess Bride fame and amongst others, they were afraid of the people. They didn't enter the promised land. David ran from Absalom. Saul was afraid of the people and listened to the voice of them. If we are going to stand for God himself, the mark of faith is to play to the audience of one no matter what the cost is. And I want you to know, church, this pulpit will stand the test of time as much as we preach and stand upon the word of God. People who play to the fears of men will tell you all sorts of things you want to hear. Timothy tells it's an itching of the ears. Give them what they want. And I'm just going to say it as an aside. We don't often do it, but there, there are some times when we find it necessary in the text or in the context of the greater culture to call out specific false teachers' names by the pulpit. We will do it. Because even Paul called out false teachers. Go read the last epistles that he wrote. But I want you to know that Moses left courageously, and that made him have a great faith. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 56, 4. What can man do to me? Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body, but fear the, the one who can cast your soul into hell. So who are you fearful of today? Your parents, your non-Christian friends, your boss, your coworkers, people online? The fear of man is always a snare. If you want to have a great faith, church, if we want to have a great faith together corporately, we have to be courageous. Secondly, we have to be concentrated. Look at the end of verse 27. He says that he was fearful, not because of the king, or courageous, not because of the king's, anything the king did, but he endured as seeing him who's invisible. Did you notice what happened here? When Moses looked at his circumstances, things were bad. But when he looked to the reward, his motivation was there. When he looked to those who cannot be seen, his courage was there. He was concentrated. He was focused. He was seeing the unseen. He wasn't looking to Egypt, but to God. He wasn't seeing things that people do. He was seeing what God can do. And Moses responded to the command of God by seeing the invisible. And Christian, today, as you look at the landscape around you, I want to remind you what John Piper has famously said. I put this on Facebook a few days ago, surprised some of you. But God is always doing 10,000, or as uh, I believe a brother here said, maybe a million things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Does that make sense? God is working in ways in your life and in this church and in this culture you have no idea about. But I can guarantee you that he is doing it. 
2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We look at not at things as they're seen, but things that are unseen. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11.1, 1, will you go back to verse 1? Do you remember this several months ago, dare I say? Several weeks ago, it was around Halloween time, so it's not that far along. But verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things what? Not seen or unseen, invisible. So what Moses is doing is right in line with what is here. That is how you were saved, by the way. You didn't trust in some guy on a cross that was up on an image somewhere. You didn't trust because you saw a Bible. You were saved, if you're saved here today, because God worked in your heart to see the invisible. Why do you believe the things you believe? Because God has worked in your heart. Why do people not understand that you believe in the things you believe? Because God has not yet worked in their heart. And so, friends, I want to remind you what 1 Peter 1.8 says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And may we not be like Peter was when he stepped out of that boat. And he was great. He walked on water. He was all good. And you know what the scripture says, don't you? The waves started coming. Woo! And it went like this. And what happened to Peter? And he said that famous prayer that everyone needs to save in the back of their arsenal when times get tough in every part of every day. Lord, save me. Help me. And he did. Church, as long as we keep our eyes on the Lord and not things of this world, God will be glorified. God has great days ahead for this church as much as he does for our personal lives. Your marriage is not so tough, you can't hang in there. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Your kids are not so far wayward. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Whatever it is, keep your eyes on the Lord. Be concentrated because you are seeing as Elijah's servant, Elisha's servant Saul. Do you remember that story? They're surrounded by the army. His servant comes running in. What are we going to do, prophet? What are we going to do? And he prays, Lord, open his eyes. Along all along the hills were an army of chariots of fire that he could not see surrounding him. Christian, you have the greatest army behind you with the greatest king above you. What more do you need? A great faith is courageous, it's concentrated. But look at verse 28. It is also compliant. It is also compliant. Verse 28 says, By faith he kept the Passover, Moses kept the Passover, and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer, the firstborn, might not be might not touch them. He kept the Passover. How funny this must have been. Even among pagan religions, they didn't have anything like this. To go and kill a, a one or two-year-old calf without spot or blemish and take the blood and the hyssop and literally almost paint it along the door frame. How much compliance would that have to take? But I'm here to tell you that compliance or obedience to the real, revealed will of God is always the greatest act of faith. Because when you believe this Bible, it's going to make you look weird. It's going to make you unusual. They might want to commit you to the funny farm. If you follow the word of God as is written, even what is given in the New Testament, you are going to go to the beat of a different drummer. And it's going to remind all the world that what is up with that guy? And may they say he's following Jesus. But he kept the Passover. He applied the blood to the doorpost. 
how easily it would have been to say, God, that makes no sense. You've delivered all of Israel through plagues, but God, let's not do it. That's just a little too messy, Lord. I'm Moses. He had faith in God and didn't question it. And I want to remind you this morning that wherever you see great faith, you will always find great compliance to the word of God and his expectations. So many denominations, so many preachers, so many Christians have let this word of God become just another thing in the world. That the power of the word of God has gone out of the people of God because we have trusting in the God of the word who's given us his very baby talk, as Calvin would say. Friends, we're reminded that Romans 1.5 says it is an obedience of faith. It is faith without works is dead, according to James. And as we follow the Lord, we must have obedience to his word in our lives. Can I ask you, is there some part of the Bible that you know God is speaking and has told you about that you're not following, that you need to get in line with? A great faith is compliant to the word of God. Finally, it is courageous, it is concentrated, it is compliant, but finally it is committed, committed. Look at verse 29. Notice what it says as they close. This isn't speaking of Moses in general, but, but more of the people. By faith, they, the people, crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, they. Your Bible may have the word they. I believe the uh, King James and the uh, NAS have that. ESV has the people specifically. But, but by faith, who? By faith, they. Moses was so contagious as a leader that it affected those around him. He was so committed to what he was called to do that he drew others along with him. And church, when you step out with great faith in compliance to the word of God, it will encourage other Christians. Some of you remember years ago, it's almost been, I think it's almost been 10 years, that when ISIS was running amok, freely unchecked along the middle of the Middle East, they would put out videos of professing Christians and line them up on seashores. Do you remember that? And though ISIS thought that they were ridding the world of other Christians, professing Christians, what that did when they killed those Christians Do you remember what it did to a lot of Christians? It emboldened the faith of Christians. Because if they're willing to die like that for Jesus, how much more can I live for Jesus here? Do not give in to the thought that your faith is useless if you can't be out there doing lots of things. Because as long as you are committed to the word of God, the people of God, and the expectations of God, you will be an encouragement. You may not have a formal title. You may not have a formal position. But the greatest encouragement you can be to other Christians is just being a faithful, ordinary, and dare I say, radical Christian by doing those things. You know, Patrick Mahomes is a pretty good quarterback, isn't he? He can flick it this way. He can close his eyes and throw it that way. And the ball always seems to be in a touchdown most of the time. It just does. I don't know how the guy does it. But I'll guarantee you, if you asked him what it was that made him great, It wasn't some special ability. It was practice, 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 practice. The Egyptians drowned because they weren't committed to following the God of the world, God of the universe. They were following the ways of the world. 
But when they, the people of God, stepped out in faith, and can you imagine what that would have been like to see the, the walls of the Red Sea parted? And I don't know how it was up. We just know it was up. And they walked across on dry ground probably dozens of hours of walking because millions of people were walking. There's that story of the liberal professor who said, well, there must have just been an inch of water in there at the Red Sea. wasn't a miracle. But the student said, then it was even a more, bigger miracle than I thought. He drowned the Egyptians in an inch of water. <laughs> I don't know how people face the death of a loved one or hard times or whatever without knowing that their God is with them. When you are committed to the word of God, we pray like David Livingston, the great African missionary prayed. He prayed, Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere with you provided it is forward. What committedness it is. As you start this new year, is your faith courageous? Is it concentrated? Is it compliant with the word of God? And because of that, by great faith, are you committed to whatever he has for you? And church, as we pray about plans for the future and discuss them and do all these things, we're going to need every bit of this faith. Because I will fail you. Nelson will fail you. Brian will fail you. You're going to fail each other. But our God never will. He's an awesome God. Will you bow your head with me this morning? Let's pray. I'm going to invite our worship team up as we uh, sing a song before we prepare the Lord's Supper together. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I just want to encourage you with the great truth that what Moses trusted in. Moses had a lot of things he could have put his life into, but he trusted the one who could save him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I pray the gospel has been abundantly clear that all the faith we can muster in this world is pointed to one object, and the object of our faith is the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who died, buried, and rose again. And if you're here today and you don't know that truth, I'll be up front afterwards if you'd like to talk more about that. But as our worship team comes, and as we pray, I just want to encourage you as a Christian, what is it in your life that you need to commit to God by greater faith? Not talking about the faith of a TV preacher, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. We're talking about the faith in the unchanging character, in the infallibility of, of his word and all that he's promised us. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. What more could we need? Let's pray together. Others, we come to you. We are reminded that Moses savored the suffering. He treasured the gospel. And he had to have a growing faith, Lord, that was rooted, reliant, resistant, and, and, and was moving forward. But Father, he also had to have a great faith that you fashioned in him. That he was courageous. That he was committed. That he was compliant, Lord. That he had everything checked off in that box. Yes, he sinned. He got angry. He didn't even enter the promised land because of such things. But despite those things, you used his life. So, Lord, would you use this church despite us, despite congregational sin, despite individual sin for your glory? Father, we desire to reach grace more in Maple Park, as Brother Brian prayed earlier this morning. We want to reach our neighborhoods, our children. Would you give parents and grandparents courage to stand upon the word of God in their homes? Even imperfectly at times, would you help us as a church to do the same? And for all sister churches around the world who claim the name of Christ in the same manner in vain. Father, we desire you more than anything else. May you be lifted high. You are Lord and Lord of King of Kings. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen. Brother.